scripture reading this morning is one that will be familiar to many of you. And so if you even want to follow along, uh, it's on the, the parable of the prodigal son begins on page 78 in your Bibles um, in the New Testament. But as you listen to this story today, I want you to consider as you hear it, which character in this story seems to resonate with you in particular. Maybe it's one, maybe it's a couple, maybe it's all of them. But just as you hear this story, consider where you see yourself. Receive now this scripture from the Gospel of Luke, beginning with 15, 1 through 32. We're going to skip some parts, though. Now all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to listen to him, and the Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling and saying, This fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. And then beginning with verse 11. So he told them this parable. There was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that will belong to me. So he divided his property between them. A few days later, the young son gathered all he had and traveled to a distant country. And there he squandered his property in dissolute living. When he had spent everything, a severe famine took place throughout that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed the pigs. He would gladly have filled himself with the pods that the pigs were eating, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired hands have bread enough to spare? But here I am, dying of hunger. I will get up and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me like one of your hired hands. So he set off and went to his father. But while he was still far off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran and put his arms around him and kissed him. When the son said to him, Father, but I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, Quickly, bring out a robe, the best one, and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet, and get the fatted calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to celebrate. Now his elder son was in the field, and when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. He called one of the slaves and asked, what was going on? He replied, your brother has come and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has got him back safe and sound. Well, then he became angry and he refused to go in. His father came out and began to plead with him. But he answered his father, listen, for all these years I have been working like a slave for you and I have never disobeyed your command. Yet you have never even given me a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when his son, this son of yours came back, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, 
you killed the fatted calf for him. Then the father said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice, because this brother of yours was dead and has come to life. He was lost and has been found. May God continue to bless our understanding of this sacred text. Will you pray with me? O gracious and loving God, may the meditations of all of our hearts on this ancient story be pleasing unto you this day and forevermore. Amen. Well, I'm sorry, but I want the party. I want the big celebration. And please include the fatted calf, the best robe, and the jewels. And while we're at it, I'd like an apology from my brother, who took off with half of our inheritance, only to squander it on over-the-top lifestyle. And while I'm out here sulking, I'd like an apology from my dad, too. Wouldn't that be nice? Because I've been here, breaking my back, working day and night, following all the rules, demonstrating what it means to be the perfect son. And look what happens. My little brother comes home, all tail between his legs, and dad runs out to greet him and hug him, forgives him, and throws a huge celebration. I'm sorry, but I want the party. So go ahead. Guess who you think I identify with in this story. So how about you? How many of you identify with the elder son? And the younger son? Come on. And how about the father? Well, whichever character resonates with you, and maybe you can relate to all three, this story of is a story of prodigal grace, extravagant, lavish, illogical, unconditional forgiveness and love. The kind of grace that only a divine, perfect God can offer, and who among us couldn't use that kind of grace? But let's step back and look at the prodigal son then, the one that this story usually focuses on and is known, known as. One of the authors of our sermon series summed up the story like this. First came the taking, the leaving, the wandering, then came the using, the wasting, the losing. Next came the knowing, the grieving, the returning. And then the father ran to his son and put his arms around him. It breaks the rhythm. Grace always does. Well, grace breaks the rhythm because there is no limit to the love that we can experience with God because God's love, God's love, is unconditional. Nothing separates us from the God who loves us. Our lives can be big and full or messy and complicated, imperfect and even a wreck, and God's grace will still be there. We've all been that younger son in one way or another, or at one time or another. Whether we like to admit it or not, we all make mistakes. We hurt the people we love. We take advantage of their generosity. We take their love for granted. We squander our abundance. But hopefully, 
knowing and trusting that God will always love us, we come to our senses and we head for home. And we confess and we ask for forgiveness. And God will extend grace and hopefully our loved ones will as well. Of course, for us to extend grace, that's not always easy. If you were the father in this story, would you have been able to forgive so easily? Well, I think for many of us who have had a loved one stray, we can understand how when they return, we are so full of relief that it's easy to see why you'd want to throw that party. For as the father tried to explain to his elder son, try to understand, you are always with me. All that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice because this brother of yours was dead and has come to life. He, has, he was lost and now he is found. The father is blessed by his estranged son's return and the younger son is blessed by the father's forgiveness. But this elder brother, I think he's still struggling. For where is the grace for him? And the challenge in this story for me is feeling like the elder son was treated somehow unjustly. After all, he's been spending his life quietly following the rules, being the good son. But when we humans start trying to decide who should receive grace and who shouldn't, it becomes a very slippery slope. How often have we asked, did even Hitler receive God's grace? So let's look at the wisdom of two theologians who lived during World War II. Dorothy Soule, who grew up in Nazi Germany, defined grace as this, borrowing the eyes of God. Borrowing the eyes of God. It enables us to see the divinity in every person, no matter what they've done. And while I do strongly believe that every single one of us receives abundant, undeserved grace, I also believe in Dietrich Bonhoeffer's distinction between cheap and costly grace. Well, Bonhoeffer, of course, was the German theologian imprisoned and ultimately executed for his plot to overthrow Nazi Germany. He defined cheap grace as forgiveness without repentance, communion without confession, grace without discipleship, grace without Jesus. Costly grace, on the other hand, comes as a word of forgiveness to the broken spirit and the contrite heart, but with the gracious call to follow Jesus. Worthiness has nothing to do with grace because we all receive divine grace, but will it be costly or will it be cheap? We get to decide. Well, consider this in our contemporary context from author Kirsten Powers, in a country that fetishizes accomplishment, tells people they can hustle and grind their way to worth, and fancies itself a meritocracy, many, like the older brother, are offended by the idea that other people would get something that they haven't earned. Practicing grace can be really hard. It's something we love to receive, but it is hard to offer, especially if trying to apply a standard of worthiness. Instead, we incline ourselves toward ungrace, withholding that which the world desperately needs. 
We become the prodigal son's older brother, glowering in the background, jealous and fuming about how undeserving his younger brother is of his father's reflective affection and forgiveness. Or as Lisa Sharon Harper writes, our lack and misunderstanding of grace and shrunken capacity to give grace is one of the things that makes the world such a brutal place. We pride ourselves on being the good guys, and we sit in judgment of those who we deem to be the bad guys. As I said, we humans trying to decide who the good guys are and who the bad guys are is a very slippery slope. While the, the elder son's inflamed self-righteousness stood in his way of even being able to receive and appreciate the grace that his father had been extending him all along, you can sense the father hoping to change the elder son's resentment to forgiveness, his arrogance to humility, his judgmental spirit to a compassionate one. There was extravagant love available for both sons. The younger son humbles himself and asks for forgiveness. While not a requirement for God's grace, I do believe that confession enhances our experience of grace. In the spiritual practice known as the daily examine, we are led through a review of our day, observing what we can be grateful for, noticing where God shows up, and yes, considering where we may have distanced ourselves or done something that we're sorrowful for, and realizing that something we have done or left undone that we need to reconcile. Extending grace to ourselves through confession smooths the edge of rough regret about the thing we did and the things we failed to do. It gives us permission to accept that we were doing the best we could with the information or life experience we had at the time. Or as Maya Angelou said, you did what you knew how to do, and when you knew better, you did better. Grace tills the ground so that peace, wholeness, and completeness can take root in our burdened bodies, relationships, and the world. That's what God wants for us. Peace, wholeness, joy. Yes, for our burdened bodies and souls, but for this broken world as well. And in response to this kind of grace, we hold tighter to each other. We remember that humans are not meant to go through life alone. So we look for ways to welcome each other in, to live like we are all family, and to lead with grace. Excessive, extravagant, over-the-top grace. And we believe it, and we live it as our call as Christ's disciples. Well, in the end, I find myself, yes, wanting to celebrate with the father and the naughty brother who found his way home, but I also find myself still cheering for that older brother. I hope he can begin to see the love that his father has always had for him, and I hope he can be a bit more self-reflective than so self-righteous. I pray that he finds a way to lead a life of costly grace by following the overflowing love of Jesus and extending that love to others, maybe even his little brother. But either way, if I meet that older brother someday, I hope to personally run out to greet him out on the road with wide open arms 
Give him my finest robe, my greatest jewels, and yes, throw him a party like he's never seen. May it be so. If you ask any parent with a teenager what it's like to wait up for their child to meet curfew, they will tell you they're standing at the door. The porch light is on. No one can sleep until that child is home safe. Friends, I think God is like that for us. The porch light is on. The door is unlocked. We might be late for curfew, but God is just so glad we're home. So let us pray the prayer of confession together, trusting that no matter what we do or what we leave undone, the porch light is always on. Let us pray. The prodigal son isn't given a name, but we know his name. It sounds like ours, and we know his story. It sounds like ours. For who among us hasn't burned a bridge? Who among us hasn't forgotten that we belong to one another? Who among us has not ached for home? The prodigal son isn't given a name, but we know his name. Forgive us, God. We want to come home. Family of faith, the word prodigal can be defined as wasteful or imprudent, hence the name prodigal son. However, prodigal can also be described as extravagant or excessive. Friends, we worship a prodigal God, a God who is extravagant in mercy and excessive in grace. For no matter how many times we run, no matter how far we go or how lost we get, God is standing at the end of the driveway waiting for us. The doors are open. The feast is for you. This grace is extravagant. Thanks be to God. Amen. And now please rise.